kind of depressed to do this one again. I've been looking forward to it. When people asked us that Q and A of like what was the worst episode we had done, it was like between this one and then like the the, the station night, the nightclub night fire. fire. Yeah, yeah. And then because like here we are doing it again. Yep, and now we have to do it again. Thanks, Jake. You're welcome. Um, if you, I don't know how often we should say this. I feel like we say it on. We're gonna say it on each episode that is re-recorded. But this is not the first recording of this episode. We've done it once before when we had a previous host in place of Jake, and um, we have gotten a lot fucking better. Despite Jake being on the podcast, mm-hmm. <laughs> so we are going back and we're re-recording seasons one and two, and this is a part of that. But you probably figured it out by now, because if you started from the beginning and you're coming from the distant future, then you probably have heard episode one with Jake on it. But when's that going to come out? I don't know, 2027, probably. Sure. So if you're listening, in, <laughs> it's going to take us a long-ass time to get back through these episodes, but we're doing it. We are working backwards. Because so that, that made the most sense at the time. It 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 does because it it's a clean break for them. Yes, essentially. Right. Instead for of us, us, it's weird. For us, it's weird. But <laughs> if, if we were to start re-recording at episode one and publishing, then it would be like episodes with Jake, episodes without Jake, and then episodes with Jake. And which I guess is fine because either way, you, you could do like half this way, half this way, and then like a small chunk of the middle. Meet in the middle. And then it would be like less either way. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like it makes more sense to keep working backwards. No, you're right. It does. So now it means we get to work backwards through episodes that are really fucking depressing. Mm -hmm. This is one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So I've not been looking forward to this a whole lot, but here we go. Uh, Hopefully it'll be good. Hey, do you want to introduce? I guess you should do that now. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Hello, everybody. Welcome to Death by Music Podcast. Uh, You might know that I'm Jake or not. If you do not know, I am Jake. What if I'm Jake? (laughs) That is also a possibility. We could all be Jake right now. You'll have to fast forward that episode to figure out what the fuck we're talking about. Anyways, I'm here with Cassie and Alex. (laughs) And today we're talking about Ross Kilda, Mm -hmm. specifically the festival in Ross Kilda, which if I recall is Denmark. I don't remember exactly where they're at. Denmark, yeah. It is Denmark, See, I think. What is it? It's like Danish and... Dutch. Den- Den- yeah, Danish and Dutch. They both start with D. It fucks me up. So, yeah. This is <laughs> this is <laughs> okay. from Denmark. And, uh, yeah. All right. Anyways, we haven't talked about this in a long time. I haven't looked at this document in a long time. Yeah. So I'm just going to fucking wing it. And hopefully, you know, it's decent. Okay, as far as sources go, Wikipedia is always our number one. We used an article on abcnews.go.com that was Danish Police Blame Pearl Jam for Ross Kilda. Ranker.com, uh, an article by Sean Kelly, The Tragic Story of Pearl Jam's Deadly Ross Kilda Show. Rollingstone.com, an article by David Frick. Rollingstone, another article by Christina Saracino. Uprocks.com, an article on Ross Kilda from Ryan O'Connell. ABCnews.go.com, there was uh, one called Ross Kilda Organizers Issue Safety Plan. And then CNN.com, an article by Holly Yan, uh, dated 11-12-21. Oh, recent. So, like, a fairly recent update. And whatever... Whatever sources that Jake used, he probably cited in the text. Yeah, I think most of them I did. They're, okay. I'll cite them as I get to them. Cool. It's a little bit easier. And um, first, we would like to point out that, you know, in the past, that 
is actually the past. We talked about doing this event before, but I thought it was called Rockslide. Or I thought it was Ross Clyde for a minute, and then I was like, oh, this is the order that the letters go in. Ross Kilda. <laughs> it's just the name of a town. Um, but I thought they were calling it Rockslide because there's a bunch of festivals here that they call like, oh, Rock on the Range, or like Rockville, like Welcome to Rockville. Mm-hmm. And um, you're not the only one that's dyslexic, though. Don't I know um, it? Because Jake's the only one that's not dyslexic. Oh, <laughs> but you guys will learn that. Yeah. yeah. Most of the time, I am like, even at work, I'm like, oh, I just can't read. Cool. Like, so <laughs> not a big deal. Um, Was this the one where we talked about the spoonerisms? Yes. Spooner. I recently so everyone you know they're like oh when you're pregnant pregnancy brain pre-, no it's after that you're just stupid and so I so you're saying before? all women who have had babies are <laughs> no stupid? I'm saying Kathy? I'm stupid going and yeah, I'm going on record saying I'm stupid all women who um, have had babies are stupid but with Kathy spoonerisms says. it's like where you switch the first letter like, of one word with the, the other so like water bottle Bottle water waddle. waddle. <laughs> yes, yeah. easy. However, sometimes I do it with full words in the wrong spot of the sentence. Explain. So the other day I was talking to a coworker of mine and I said something about, oh, I hate I hate when my phone plays games or something. I don't know what it was, but I said, I hate when my game plays phones. And just, it didn't make sense. And I kept talking and she was like, oh, I really hate that too. And I was like, Oh, what like does that I happen to you? And then? she was like, "Yeah, my games plays phones all the time." And I'm like, <laughs> "Did I say that?" And she was like, "Yeah." <laughs> and I don't notice. I don't know. I think I don't, if it's my brain getting ahead of my mouth, I just can't keep up with the thoughts because my mouth is just running and my brain is stupid. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's gotta be my mouth won't shut up, but my brain is dumb. <laughs> Probably. All right. Well. So okay. Music festivals. They are the bomb. Even if the bands suck, Mm. um, it's true. It's even better when you get to see awesome groups like The Cure, Iron Maiden, Nine Inch Nails, Willie Nelson, and Pearl Jam. Willie Nelson can still rock because I saw him in 2019. We just saw him this past summer. Oh, did Did you? Did you stay for Willie Nelson? I I almost saw him this year. It was the Outlaw Music Festival, but I didn't stay. Uh, I did get to see Billy Strings and uh, Nathaniel Rateliff, which was cool. Or I got to see at least part of it because the people in front of us would not sit the fuck down. Yeah. Were you on the lawn? No, no, we, we were, were in, in the seats. Uh, up in the front. You know, we pretty, had good seats. Yeah, and these like everybody stood up when the when the bands come out. Sure. And that's fine. But then everybody kind of started literally, sitting down, and yeah. it was literally the two guys right in front of me. <laughs> yeah, it, the only two people in the crowd standing up were right in front of Jake. Right, and like the women are fine because they're smaller and they're like <laughs> dancing and moving around and stuff, and you can see around them. But when guys stand up, they fucking stand there and i know this because i do the same thing when i stand in one spot i don't fucking move oh damn they got broad shoulders and they're like six and a half feet tall and just like man i've been on my feet all day i'm not fucking standing up here for four fucking hours on the concrete well i want to sit down and watch we ended up scooting down a couple seats yeah yeah, and then the other guy stood up yeah (laughs) what did you do that made the universe hate you that i i don't know (laughs) the music was good though so i was yeah whatever willie nelson was great his kid was great too mm-hmm. his kid was there so he actually you. helped i think well i don't know if we mentioned it before he helped write him and jason isbell wrote the soundtrack to a star is born with bradley cooper and lady gaga huh they did the songs y'all interesting all right well um anyways the, the willie nelson pearl jam blah 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 iron sure. maiden those guys were all the lineup uh on the lineup for the danish festival roskilda which took place over four days from june 29th 
to July 1st in the year 2000. The festival was one of the largest in Europe, and it's been running since 1971. It was started by two high school students and taken over as a nonprofit where festival goers get to vote and just... Where festival goers get to vote and decide what charitable organizations will receive the profits each year. That's really cool. Um, According to their website, since 1971, the Roskilde Festival has (laughs) generated approximately 55 million euros. Wait, was that a euro symbol? Yeah. Again, I'm stupid. (laughs) Um, That is a big number in U.S. dollars. 64 million. Uh, 495 thousand billion <laughs> it's like me when i go get my oil change and they're like what's the mileage and i'm like what's the number <laughs> i don't know it's right there actually you can just see it yeah if you just like pop your head in the window it's inside. rolled down yeah um yeah it's that one anyway so um some of the organizations they worked with to donate money were doctors without borders amnesty international um support the victims in iraq save the children the wwf which is the world wildlife yeah. <laughs> fund not what you're thinking. Not the the World wrestling, wrestling Federation. Federation. <laughs> See? Wow. Um, uh, they were the ones that actually stole the WWF from the WWF because they're a bunch of dickbags. So. Yeah, they had to. The <laughs> WWE had to change their name to WWE because but, of the World Wildlife Fund. Yes, but yeah. they were a foundation before the WWE. Were they? Not, oh, sorry, WWF was the WWF. Yeah, right? but World Wrestling Federation is uh, infinitely cooler than World maybe, Wildlife Fund. Maybe <laughs> no. Maybe <laughs> I don't know the story, but maybe it was only trademarked in the U.S. And they're like, "Well, we are the world, so like we want to have a world." Tra- I don't know how. Yeah, <laughs> I, I <laughs> looked it up once. This is one of those times when I don't my... know what I'm talking about, but I'm acting like it. <laughs> I have seen a documentary on why this was a thing because of my ex, but I don't remember because I don't care. Because Same thing. I, I looked it up once, and, and I just don't remember exactly what the what the deal was. But yeah. I did look into it. Well, if this was a wrestling <laughs> so. podcast, we could do a mini episode on it. But yeah. It's not. So. Call up your boy. Uh, <laughs> damn. All right. Inspired by Woodstock, this festival was Denmark's first of its kind for hippies. Similarly, it was poorly run at first, uh, but the people involved were very enthusiastic. In 20 years, participation went from 10,000 visitors a day to 125,000 visitors for the weekend. Mm -hmm. It started with folk, rock, and jazz, but has since evolved to include genres like EDM, hip-hop, metal, and even classical acts like opera. I was going to say the lineup listed like a whole EDM night, but this playlist is going to be like interesting. Yes. So by the way... um, (gasps) Check out the playlist on our Spotify Is page. It still there? Not this one. It's still the yeah. If you search <laughs> for death by podcast team, I don't know. We haven't talked about the playlist. I posted a, a link. I know. I posted a link because someone asked. Someone like, Why said can I never find it? And I was like, same. Dude, <laughs> so there's like death by music podcast. That's us. If you're on Spotify, that's what you're listening to right now. But if you look up death by podcast team on Spotify. It will pull up a user profile instead of a podcast profile. And it's on the us. user profiles, you can create playlists. And that's where our playlists are that Cassie has created, except for a couple of the metal ones, probably. <laughs> I'm going to side side rail us. What is the sidetrack us? Sidebar? A sidebar. Side rail. <laughs> We're going to side rail today. Um, I added a song to our playlist, which is songs that you wouldn't be like oh. mad about. Murdering, murdering, murdering. <laughs> songs you would songs like I wouldn't be. mind playing in the background while I murdered. Um, I added Copacabana by Barry Manilow. Oh, that's a good one. In the future, we'll talk about songs you wouldn't mind being stabbed to. Mm-hmm. Copacabana. 
Mm-hmm. I like that. All right. It popped up in my head the other day, and I was like, yeah, that one would do it. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely drop dead to that. Uh, Should we get back to it? So this, the, yeah, there's pretty much a place for everyone at this festival. Like we said, lots of different types of music, mm-hmm. but never Christmas music. Fuck yeah. Um, but I'm going to compare it to Bonnaroo, which is a festival I've been to many a time. Um, festival goers are allowed to camp on site and since 1999 have enjoyed a yearly naked run. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's normal. Same. Uh, they run around the campsite on Saturday night. Sounds breezy. Yes, dicks and balls are out. A male and a female winner are crowned and receive tickets to the next year's show. As with many festivals, there are dangers. Um, with huge crowds, high temperatures, and substances floating around, you usually encounter a couple of deaths per year. So is that per festival or over the course of the festival season? It's not It's not unheard of for like one person to die out of okay. 100,000 at a festival. Like somebody... Like overheated usually, I mean, or... yeah. Like That's... I don't want to say this is a normal thing, but it's not... It's usually like one person... So that's what I was going to say. It would be like some maybe somebody ODs uh, or they have have a heart heart attack. attack. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it's it's something that is not necessarily directly related to. They weren't killed, is what what I'm saying. Just at the festival. They just happened to be there. Not over the festival season because over the festival season, that's going to be tons of fucking people. But like at each individual festival, if like one or two people die, that's not unheard of. I mean, that's pretty normal. Um, so yeah, we're, we're talking one or two people out of 130,000 that are at this festival. So it's bound to happen, unfortunately. And if you take a group of people that large that are not going to a festival over those four days, I bet you'd see about the same number of deaths. Like that's just a normal thing to happen. So yeah, like you said, natural cause is not murder death that doesn't happen at festivals like really um so ideas oh my god (laughs) generally large festivals like this uh that have been running for decades they have security safety and medical like down pat and they know how to make it a great and smooth show for all parties involved but that was not always the case as you know with all of our stories this one is going to end in tragedy you know, we kind of said that up top. Mm-hmm. During Pearl Jam's set on Friday, June 30th of 2000, the crowd size was nothing out of the ordinary. However, eight people died that day, and one person later lost his life in the hospital. So what happened? Stone Gossard released a statement on behalf of the band 20 years after the incident on the Pearl Jam website detailing the day. He said, a normal festival show day. Show up five hours ahead. Wait for your slot. I barely remember it. Sunny, I think. Lou Reed played, I think. Then rain and wind. But nothing has been the same since. An unexpected moment intervened that forever changed all involved. And those, like our band, who never realized anything was going on at all until it was too late. All of us forever waiting for news to be different. 20 years later, our band has 11 more kids, all of them precious, and another 20 years between us. Our understanding of gravity and the loss felt by the parents of those boys has grown exponentially magnified as we imagine our own children dying in circumstances like Ross killed at 2000. It is unthinkable, yet there it is, our worst nightmare. Maybe it's time for a trigger warning and this this episode, this. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be heavy. Um, like season one, episode two on the Great White Station nightclub fire. It's really, really sad and it's involving essentially children. All of the victims in this case were under the age of 26, all accidental deaths that happened when the individuals involved 
were supposed to be having the time of their life. Yeah, and up until you like brought this to our attention, I'd never heard of it. Obviously, it's in another country. It's 2000. I was, you know, a small lass. But nine. Uh, I just can't imagine heading out to a festival, what should have been a great weekend, just to have your life come to a tragic end while you're trying to see your favorite band perform. Like, that's just not, uh, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. Even the first video that I watched while trying to research this, it was, it was like a big, wow, fuck me. I got to dig into this stuff now. Yeah. It was like. You watch Pearl Jam on stage? for it or i i did see part there there are videos on youtube of the uh, performance or at least the audio and you can hear when things went down they have like the whole setup there so you you, just watched like a news thing first yeah it was like one of the yeah it was like a news thing or documentary type deal and and well we'll get into it just yeah that whole thing was just sad to listen to yeah so um let's lay it all out Roskilde is not far from Copenhagen. It's a small farming community, kind of like Manchester, Tennessee, where Bonnaroo is held. Farms are great places for festivals. There's lots of land to set up stages and camping. Sunshine, hopefully. No showers for days. The smell of manure wafting through the air. Sounds like a blast. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I thought nature, or I thought manure said nature at first. And I was like, yes, nature. No, Jake. <laughs> I mean, manure. it does, it do kind of smell like cow shit in Europe. It do kind of sound like doo. <laughs> yeah, it sounds nice, actually. So that day was June 30th, 2000. It was uh, kind of cold. It was very wet. It had rained earlier in the day, so the people were wet and the ground was muddy. The grounds are typically used for agricultural events and there are cattle sheds lining the perimeter of the land. So, yes, it probably smelled like cow shit. <laughs> um, interestingly, there weren't gates to keep people out, only trees and sheds at the perimeter. Apparently, Scandinavian people are civilized. What? Um, they didn't have security checks because people don't carry weapons. What is that like? <laughs> so I found a recent festival map showing, obviously, the festival grounds and where things are at. Then I got onto Google Maps and found the site, and luckily they have Street View going around the festival area. Okay. Now, keep in mind, you know, this story takes place in 2000. The street views I found of the festival grounds were dated between 2011 and 2022. But what I found was that there are some fences and barriers here here and there around the entrances to the main campground areas and whatnot. Mm-hmm. When you scroll over to the main festival site, there is a significant fence with heavy-duty looking gates surrounding the entire thing, like okay. the actual festival part of the festival. So they set up something since Yeah, then. it's between 2000 and, and those, the 2011 yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Street View things, they've put something up, so... Yeah, I imagine this incident has something to do with that, just having too many yeah. people there. But, I mean, you you wouldn't think you have to worry about it because they're, like I said, in the middle of nowhere. So you're not, I mean, you wouldn't, how many people are going to show up that don't have a ticket? It, it, it's, it's, but it's, they could. It's not yeah, necessarily I mean, it's not a problem with the size of the crowd. It's the handling of the crowd that was yeah. the issue, which yeah. we'll find out later here. Right. So there are multiple stages set up on this land. And Pearl Jam was playing the largest, the orange stage, as they were one of the night's headliners. The foot of the stage wasn't slippery or muddy. Uh, It was paved with stone flour, a quick draining mix of clay and sand. As with many European concerts and festivals, there were also various barricades set up to divide the crowd. Uh, The festival that I went to in Germany, Rockavaria, had the pit divided into three sections, which pissed me off. Um, (laughs) I hadn't seen that at American shows before. I bought a pit ticket, but only a certain number of people were allowed per section, so I had to wait for capacity to decrease 
to get into the front section. Um, and I didn't have any idea why it was like that. Where like, I just never considered that people would run the stage. Like, Where did you stand in the meantime then if you had a pit ticket and weren't allowed on the pit? Off to the side of the stage. Mm. So like you weren't in front of the stage at all. You were just kind of off. Yeah. Because I've know. seen like other... You know, documentaries or like live performances when they're in huge, like what is it? Um, one of the ones in Europe, but they had like almost multiple sections of these things taped off, and people couldn't go here and whatnot. It was just yeah, the entrance wasn't from the back; it was from the side. That so, makes sense. Yeah, so you could filter in to whichever section of the pit you wanted coming from the side, and you weren't. It's not like people all got stuck at the very very back we were all just coming in down the stairs to the side so i got stuck over there and i was like what the fuck um (laughs) i didn't know what the reason was i didn't i was stupid you know and the reason is crowd control and to prevent people from charging the stage which happens that makes sense because they want to keep everyone safe i just don't want people touching me ever there's nothing like a bunch of sweaty dudes pushing each other around don't you think reminds me of that ramstein music video when you got caught watching in your office. Yeah, that they thought was porn. It was just Ramstein, which is basically porn. I mean, let's be honest. All right. Um, As for security (laughs) at this festival, it was all volunteers. The festival staff... This is fucking wild. The festival staff only had 12 full-time employees. The other 17,000 were local unpaid volunteers. Um, I asked in a Bonnaroo Facebook group what their numbers usually were for volunteers for a comparison point. And apparently it's around... 2,500. Interesting. Uh, so you said they, they had about 17,000 unpaid volunteers working in 2000. Uh, in an article on scanification.com, everything you need to know about the Ross Kilda Festival by Kurt Brighton, uh, no date listed, he says there are about 30,000 volunteers now with attendance capped at around 125 to 130,000 people. Because That's fucking crazy. Yeah. 30. Do they need that many? Probably. What? I, I don't know. That large of a festival. Because I imagine it's very much like Woodstock where these 17,000 people were like, yeah, I'll come and volunteer and not have to pay, you know, because that's what yeah, most that's festivals what are. But I mean, obviously not. I mean, they had volunteers helping, but like how many of them were just watching the show? Yeah. So like usually <laughs> with Bonner, they split you up like you apply to be a volunteer. You choose which things you would prefer to do. And then you give them the times that you like the artists that you definitely want to see. And they uh-huh. try to schedule you based around that. Uh, but you could be doing anything from like standing around in the campgrounds with like a big question mark over your head. So people come to you for information or you're yeah. directing traffic or you are checking bags or you're inside um, I don't know, like working, maybe they have people working security, like you know standing what? up at the front of the stage and stuff. I, I bet it's similar to when we go to Dragon Con because there's volunteers all Everywhere. over the place. Just but pushing lines in certain places. Yeah, Ian volunteered last year, but he only had to work a, a couple events and then he was free for the whole weekend. So you got to imagine yeah. they're, they're rotating through a lot of people. Yeah, they make you do like three, things. six hour shifts and then you get to watch the shows the rest of the time. Right. So. But you know, how are you supposed to work three, six hour shifts when you're doing drugs all weekend? It's like tough to manage your time. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So technically these people were not really trained on how mm-hmm. to deal with crowd control and security. This wasn't their profession. They just arrived prepared and learned from experience. In the past, they had not had to deal with security-related deaths, though there had been issues in the past. Ironically, at a previous appearance from Pearl Jam, 
Eddie Vedder actually got punched in the face after trying to defend a stage diver. Security didn't recognize him. Uh, they probably just assumed that he was another stage diver, even though he came from the fucking stage. But you know what? Their backs are facing it, so yeah. I guess they just were like, ah, who's this long-haired fucking nerd? Uh, the, you know, that's got to be fun, having a free pass to punch people in the face for stage diving. Yeah. And then imagine being the guy that got to punch Eddie Vedder. <laughs> hey, hey. Uh, speaking of, before the story gets too heavy, I got a fun fact for you. Yes. Uh, did you know that the year before, 1999, Weird Al wrote a song about Eddie Vedder. Uh, it's called My Baby's in Love with Eddie Vedder. Al pokes fun at Eddie Vedder and the whole grunge scene. It's also an original, not a parody. I was going to say, what was he making fun of? Eddie, Eddie Vedder. Vedder. <laughs> <laughs> Rightfully so. <laughs> it's a fun name. I mean, he looked out with that one. It's better than Steve Lord. Uh, on that night, <laughs> right around 10.15 p.m., Fans started lining up at the orange stage trying to grab a good spot to see Pearl Jam's headlining performance. They had sold 70,000 tickets for that Saturday and approximately 50,000 of those people stayed to see the headliners take the stage. Pearl Jam would begin at 1030. So uh, security started lining up early in the narrow space between the pit and the stage preparing to pull crowd surfers to safety. The music hadn't even started when the crowd started to sway. It was packing in very tightly, and if you've been in a crowd like this, you know how scary it can be. Tight crowds, sure, they're fine if you can still ultimately control where your feet are planted on the ground, but when you lose all control of whether you're standing, moving, and breathing, terror starts to set in. Have you ever been to a show that this has happened? Yes. Were you terrified? Yeah, <laughs> I, fuck that. I mean, I'm not I'm not about it. I went, one of the shows was at Bonnaroo. I don't remember who exactly was on stage. The entire crowd pushed, like it surged forward and my feet were lifted off of the ground. And I was like, get me the fuck out of here. Mm -hmm. I'm already too short. So yeah. like that, I'm already at a disadvantage. I can't pull myself out like because I'm below everybody. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be the first one who's gone like i i can't it's it's so scary so yeah. anytime i go to a show and there's a huge crowd like that i'm like i'm actually gonna leave yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i went to uh one of the shows for like college homecoming they did a show at the mm -hmm. ted constant center and it was hello goodbye who was like early myspace emo, emo days okay. so i was like yeah i'm gonna go see them but it was also kesha and 303 which is like the weirdest lineup but I fell down during Kesha's set and then I had to go sit during 303 because the crowd was just moving back and forth yeah. and eventually people just started falling over. So it was like sardines and then mm -hmm. dominoes. And I used this guy's shirt to help me like pull myself back up because I was like, I'm not like getting stuck down here. I've seen yeah. things where this has happened. So after that song, I just got up and found a seat up in the nosebleeds i was like i'm not going back down there yeah the only <laughs> other time all over i recall being like that was rise against also at the ted yeah and that oh. everybody everybody all, the bros? all at once started <laughs> fucking thrashing and i was like yeah i'm gonna get punched in the face but i think that was more of just like a crowd that was out of control and didn't know how to mosh because it wasn't like there were that many fucking people there was that but the one it was like tight a day to remember was there Probably. Yeah. I don't know. I was just like, everybody was going crazy. And I was like, I can't, there's not a safe place to stand in this crowd. Yeah. And I was like, I'm leaving early. So bye bye. I did get kicked in the face um, at Warp Tour during uh, Bayside set. What were you wearing? 
<laughs> it was because of a mosh pit. Some guy was crowd surfing. There was people. What do you mean? Kicked in the face because of what I was wearing. You were what probably asking for it. Oh my gosh! Was it purple? Oh, what does that have to do with anything? It was purple. <laughs> Is that an inside joke? I don't know that one. <laughs> it's from Whitey's Kiss, you know. Oh, look what she's wearing. It's purple. Okay. Anyways. Anyway. Jake? Have you ever been to a show where your life has been semi-threatened? Like Jake pretty much avoids the crowds. True. But is there a reason for that? I, I've been to a couple of... They weren't super packed shows at the Norva. The Norva is a small venue. Before the pandemic, there would be some pretty tight shows in there. They weren't bad, but most of the time I just had to yeah. get out because I'm stuck standing in one spot. And it starts hurting after a while, so I got to get out move and go lean on something or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, um, I've not been to anything on like a large concert scale, so yeah. Norva's probably the worst. It was wasn't really even that bad. Um, I did, however, kick a guy in a wheelchair once. Hey, nice. At the Norva, was he, what was he wearing? Uh, probably purple. <laughs> no, it was. Uh, I believe it was one of the earlier uh, Zoso shows that we had been to, or something what? like that. Okay, explain. Zoso is and, a Led Zeppelin tribute band. For those of you that don't know, yeah. Zoso. If you if if you guys get a chance, go see them. They're pretty. They're fucking they're awesome. Amazing. Um. Anyways, we were at the Norva, and I had left the crowd to go to the bathroom or something, and I was standing in the back because it was too packed i'm not gonna go pushing through people just to get up to the front back where we were standing and you found me somewhere grabbed my hand and started pulling Aww. me through the crowd and so if you think <laughs> about the norva fault. yes it is your <laughs> fault so the norva on the right side of the stage they got the large pillars holding up the second floor there right and there was a guy in a wheelchair he was posted up by one of those pillars because oh, there was no. a table there and you're dragging me through the right side of the crowd and like I'm struggling to stand up and keep up with you and shit, and and we round the corner of this pole, and I just fucking right in this guy's fucking wheelchair. And you, you kick his chair or him? Well, I kicked his wheelchair, but it was oh, pretty hard because yeah. I was trying to keep you know from falling over and shit, and Whoops. and we just disappeared in the crowd. And I I turned back to the guy, and it, you know, of course it's loud as fuck in there. I'm trying to say sorry, and and you know, I think I heard him say, you know, it's fine. But so I just felt so bad. That. I just kicked the shit out of this guy's chair. Well, I can tell that was a long time ago because that ain't me anymore. <laughs> I do not go into crowds anymore. Like yeah, that. you, I'm you like, pulled I me back stand. into it. And no, I was like, no lies because two years ago. I'm not, not like even. that anymore. Oh, okay, so <laughs> that's what I'm it's saying. It's not that old. Well, it's not that I don't recent like to, that you don't I, go into them. I used to. Well, it's probably because of this. I used probably, to have the balls yeah. to just I'd be like, "Fuck it, I'm at a show. I'm going to the front," you know. And I would push yeah. my way through, and mm -hmm. I fucking I can't do it anymore. I think it's like my anxiety because of this. I don't do. I hang out where there's room to breathe and move around, and I don't want people around me who are pissed off because yeah. if I pissed them off and something happens, they're gonna be like, "I don't give a fuck." Yeah, they're gonna let me go down. Yeah. Anyways, sorry, wheelchair guy, if you're listening right now. <laughs> okay, so this is about to get pretty serious, um, and just letting you guys know. So, uh, Thomas Miller, who is 19 years old, was interviewed for a feature in Rolling Stone and described exactly those crushed like feelings that we were talking about. He says, half an hour in, I knew it was life and death. I couldn't lift my arms. It was difficult to breathe. I lifted my head to feel clean air. I was scared for my life. One of my biggest fears is suffocating, and I can't imagine what it would be like to be in those, like, situations. Especially, like, seeing a clear view of, like, I can get out of here, but, like, no, I but can't. But you can't. Yeah. Because yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing that's, like, fucking happening, you know? It's mm -hmm. just, it is crazy to think that 
you can't just go walk yeah out. walk away you know there's mm-hmm. not like some big other thing that's happening it's mm-hmm. just there's too many fucking people yep um so yeah like when there's a crowd of fifty thousand people and they all start moving who's really in control mm-hmm. one person pushes from the back and each person in front of them has to deal with that creating space for themselves uh those in the back that are trying to get to the stage have no awareness of the amount of space that they have taken from everybody in front of them it's really like being caught in the ocean in a riptide with nothing to grab onto and no way to get out. Yeah, it's a huge domino effect. Mm-hmm. And there's nowhere to go at the front. Um, plus, the wet ground did not help the situation. It was difficult to stay standing up, and vendors had run out of boots. Uh, they had, like, boot covers. Um, so, yeah, people started putting plastic bags over their feet. I, I don't see that making things better i get trying to keep your feet dry and your shoes clean but that just sounds terrible for traction right because now yeah. your feet You're are in the slipping mud, around in a bag in plastic yeah in mud yeah it's not helping yeah so from the stage looking out into a sea of people this all looked pretty fucking normal the crowd moves around the pit forms people crowd surf and you have tons of lights in your eyes making the details really difficult to see like i feel like you can see kind of the people that are right in front of you, but when you get really far back, like it's hard to see because all those lights are in your eyes. True. So while it looked normal from the stage, in reality, people were getting knocked off of their balance, dropped into the crowd, and they were not able to be easily pulled back up. Uh, one person drops and another person takes their place, and the first person gets crushed under the feet of the people around them. By the time they realize that they're standing on a human, they don't have anywhere to move. Like shoulder to shoulder sardines, like you said. Um, fans who saw what was happening made attempts to save those people who were going down. They tried to push the opposite direction, unite with others in the crowd to make a motion, but it wasn't working. And the band hadn't realized anything might be wrong until they saw someone pop out of the crowd blue. Uh, some decided that seeing the band wasn't worth it like myself at the the show at Monaroo that I went to, they decided it was time to go. Yannick Ty Machalt was one of those people. He was 22 at the time and had gone to seven Roskilde festivals already. Um, but the crowd was too much. He stayed for a few songs, but when the crowd started to seem aggressive, he managed to push his way out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took 45 minutes for something to be done. A security officer named Per Johansson told the chief that he thought that people were dead and asked her to stop the music the chief so for a long time nothing happened everyone was trying to decide who would have the authority to stop things some said it was about 15 minutes before anyone paid attention to johansson's warnings but others say that it was it happened much quicker than that so finally word got to the band's manager dick adams who stopped eddie vetter and warned him that the crowd had become dangerous and they thought people had died so vetter addressed the crowd He said, what will happen in the next five minutes has nothing to do with music, but it is important. Imagine that I'm your friend and that you must step back so as not to hurt me. You all have friends up front. I will now count to three and you will have to take three steps back. All who agree say yes now. Everyone moved, relieving pressure off the ribs of the folks standing up at the front barricade They moved back and revealed a hole in the crowd where no heads were visible, and security rushed to that spot. It was about seven feet from the front barricade, and immediately a pile of bodies was visible. 
Vetter is said to have sat on the stage watching the victims be pulled out, tears in his eyes. I can't imagine being a performer and having something like that happen while you're performing and to have to live with that yeah. sight the rest of your life, just knowing that you would you would think it was your fault. Right. And then you realize that it's too that. late. Yeah. And this has happened so much recently. Yeah. I mean, I just watched a video of Harry Styles doing the same exact thing mm-hmm. of like everybody there's some people in distress right there and everybody needs to take two giant steps back mm-hmm. slowly don't push anybody um i mean and the the good th- thing is performers seem to be more aware of this now mm-hmm. yeah it's not it's not as uncommon as as we would think um, like you said, it's been happening recently, but I think it's been getting more coverage. But it's I, I think it happens more, and then it, it only gets covered locally. It doesn't necessarily make it to the national Unless news, it's a so we don't huge, hear it. Yeah, what was the big one. Astro World? Astro yeah. World. Yeah, we mentioned that in here. Yeah, so, well, I guess you added that, because since we initially did this um, recording, and what like was it, two, 2020 when we did it? Yeah, there were like two in between yeah. that we could have now added. Because it keeps happening. Yeah. Eddie Vedder, I think, I mean, he handled it in a great way. As soon as yeah. he found out something was going on, he very calmly. And and to people in a different country, had to communicate to them, people from all over Europe. It's not obviously just Danish people that are here. Yeah. People who speak all kinds of different languages had to communicate effectively to get them to back up. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did a good job at that. Festival staff rushed in to start picking up the victims and passing them over the barricade. Because this this little hole was kind of near the front of the stage. So the easiest way for them to get out at that point when you've got 50,000 people behind you is just to lift them up and move them to the front. Mm-hmm. Um, so those people were rushed to a medical station behind the stage, which was quickly inundated with people who were needing medical assistance. So they began to utilize the trucks at the Orange Stage's loading docks to transport victims to other medical tents on the property. By 1.05 a.m. on Saturday, the 1st of July, many fans did not know the severity of what had happened during the Pearl Jam set. They knew people were hurt. Many had not seen up close how severe it had been. So they're all just kind of in the dark, like sent back to camp. Like, what the fuck was that about? They Mm -hmm. don't even know. Members of the crowd continued to wait for the next group, realizing that Pearl Jam would not be returning to the stage. Now, ordinarily, there would have been music as late as 3 a.m. A staff member did take the stage shortly after 1 a.m. to notify the crowd that the final band, The Cure, had canceled their set. Yeah, rightfully so. They didn't want to continue that or like just out of... Oh, out of respect. Yeah, respect for the victims. Yeah. Because they knew what was going on. If there was a little bit more transparency between the festival and, you know, the festival goers, it would have made more sense. I mean, and the only way to communicate that would be to take the stage and say people died. Yeah. Because that, you know, early 2000s, it wasn't everybody on a phone. You know, they didn't have the app, (laughs) the Ross Kilda app to, like, notify them. But even then, if they did, some people don't have the app. They're just there. So I'm going to name all of their names here and their ages and where they're from. Uh, I'm going to try to name all of their names, but I'm probably not going to say them correctly. So I do apologize for any mispronunciations. Um, Henrik von Beber, age 22, from Sweden. Carl Johan Gustafsson, age 20, from Sweden. Anthony Hurley, uh, 24, from Australia. He actually died later at the hospital after being 
hospitalized for head and chest injuries and put on an artificial respirator. Uh, Frank Nowins from Holland, who was 23 years old. Marco Peschel, age 26, from Germany. Jacob Svensson, 17, from Denmark. Uh, his friend Alan Tonison from Denmark as well, also 17. Uh, Fredrik Turrison, age 22, from Sweden. And there was one unnamed victim from Denmark who was 22 years old. In Denmark, it's the law to not release the names of the dead out of respect for the families so they can choose to release that information on their own. Uh, there were three others that had injuries serious enough to be rushed to a local hospital. 26 others had minor injuries and were treated at the festival medical tents. Early in the morning, Pearl Jam released a statement. They said, this is so painful. I think we were waiting for someone to wake us and say it was just a horrible nightmare. And there are absolutely no words to express our anguish in regard to the parents and loved ones of these precious lives that were lost. We have not yet been told what actually occurred, but it seemed random and sickeningly quick. It doesn't make sense. When you agree to play a festival of this size and reputation, it is impossible to imagine such a heart-wrenching scenario. Our lives will never be the same, but we know that's nothing compared to the grief of the families and friends of those involved. It's so tragic, there are no words. Devastated Pearl Jam. Now, while the show must go on, Pearl Jam canceled the rest of their European tour. The day after the trampling, the Bishop of Roskilde went on stage and prayed over the crowd with a moment of silence. The festival goers created a memorial nearby, leaving candles, flowers, and letters to the victims. In a press conference, they declared the show would continue, but two of the major groups, Oasis and Pet Shop Boys, canceled their performances. They learned of the tragedy on the news. So, th like, the bands were waiting to head to the festival grounds on, for their own sets and obviously thought it would be inappropriate to play after what had happened. Neil Tennant of Pet Shop Boys said, This show that we're doing is a greatest hits show. It's like a party. To do that on a site where eight people had just died seems inconceivable. Liam Gallagher of Oasis also reportedly asked how he could go on stage and sing Live Forever at a time like this. Their manager canceled their sets for Saturday out of respect and safety concerns for the Orange stage because it's not just about like, oh, well, we got to play our songs. Like, what if this happens again? Mm -hmm. They're obviously not equipped to handle this. So why the fuck would I get on that stage? Yeah, they're not going to be equipped the day after either. So right. Like what changed? There's no Nothing. Yeah, there's no time for anything to change or even process. Yeah, I wouldn't trust anything. it. I mean, yeah. even if they're like a calmer different vibe of band it has nothing to do with the type of music it, it is it's security i think yeah. so the bands donated their festival fees to improve safety at festivals in the future uh there was some beef with the ross Kilda management after this um they were being asked to cancel any main stage performances to assist with the investigation but refused the Roskilde organizers said that they had already double-checked security since the previous night and were okayed to go on with more performances. The festival cited their long-standing history of safe performances. Uh, James Monkman, tour manager for the Pet Shop Boys, said, Well, yeah, not as of 24 hours ago. You know, that shit ain't hmm. safe. So Roskilde was kind of butthurt by this. They put out a press release saying that the bands that did continue on and perform the festival were showing respect and consideration for the victims, their families, and for the audience. So basically, it was the bands 
versus the festival organizers, they had different ideas of what respect was. Ultimately, the festival apologized for what was said, and they put their fees towards a Roskilde 2000 tragedy fund or um, a trust for the families of the deceased. Unfortunately, when I looked, I couldn't find any information on whether or not the fund, like how it was used or if it existed still. Yeah, e- even as of the, the re-recording of this episode, I wasn't able to find mention of it on the festival website or anything current on the uh, on an initial web search. But uh, I think we mentioned earlier that the festival is nonprofit, and you can find a 2018 list of where they distribute their donations mm. um, if that's something you're curious in. I, the money is actually going towards towards things. other you know their donations like they say the day after the trampling eddie vetter got a call from pete townsend guitarist for the who who had been in a scarily similar situation in 1979 it's an event that we will likely cover in the future where at a concert in 79 11 people were trampled to death waiting to get into the show see that's even crazier it's like the people getting trampled waiting to get into walmart you know at 1201 on a black friday that's exactly what it was because I mean, I don't want to go too far into it on this episode, but basically it was a huge crowd of people had gathered outside of the gates and they wouldn't open the gates. And then when they did open the gates, they opened one at the very far end. So everybody who was in the whole front, only one corner of them were getting in. So everybody who was like, what the fuck? I've been here for eight hours. I'm in the front, Mm -hmm. but I'm not in the front corner. Like everybody just pushed forward Mm -hmm. and... Some people made it in. They thought that this would be a good idea for crowd control, but what would have been a good idea would be to open all of the doors at once. Mm. Um, But they didn't consider that, and the stampede that came after ended up killing 11 people. Um, So it was really fucked up. So Pete, of The Who, while consoling Eddie Vedder, also let him know that The Who did a bad job. They did wrong following their own tragedy. He said the group had spoken too soon and too angrily to the press, rather than giving respect to the victims and their families. The members of Pearl Jam went into seclusion following the show and even contemplated breaking up. They didn't feel that blame should be placed on them, so Pearl Jam continued on, writing tributes on their next album, Riot Act, with songs Love Boat Captain and I Am Mine. The Danish government, on the other hand, publicly blamed Pearl Jam for the deaths after their initial investigation. They claimed that the group was morally responsible... Mm -mm. (laughs) That they had a well-known appeal for violent behavior, citing crowd surfing, which is just incredible. Like, crowd surfing's violent. What? Like, that's the most (laughs) caring thing you can do for somebody is lift them in the air. How's that violent? (laughs) Um, They had interviewed 280 witnesses, and the complaints were as such. They whipped the crowd into a frenzy. The ground was wet. Visibility was poor. People were sweaty. All of those sound like not Pearl Jam's problem. Mm -hmm. Um, They also (laughs) said the band didn't stop their performance immediately, but the band had no clue what was going on in the crowd. Totally Pearl Jam's fault, right? So these conditions um, have been present at hundreds of festivals Mm -hmm. without this result. And that would have been pretty hard to prove in a court of law. Like, it's not... It's just situational at that point there's no hard evidence it's everybody's opinion i mean can you imagine putting i don't know it's just no they were just performing i don't Mm. know they didn't do anything they weren't like fucking murder your neighbor they weren't in charge of the festival or anybody like that was part of 
security. And in some cases, like I can get it. So I've been to some metal shows where they're like, we're going to do a wall of death. And they instruct the crowd. They're like, everybody in the middle of the crowd, fucking get on the sides. Yeah. Part the Red Seas. And now when the beat drops or whatever the fuck, you're going to run into each other. If they had done something like that, like literally instructing the crowd to fucking and people had died from that sure then i'd be like what the fuck is wrong with you why yeah. would you do that but that's Excuse not what me, happened Eddie. they were yeah. just performing their songs right so no so obviously the band was furious after that statement was issued sure. they refuted that they had never in their history appealed for violent behavior i i couldn't imagine people being violent at a, at a pearl jam concert it honestly couldn't even imagine a pit opening up but i you know i i went to see for the foo fighters and they opened up a mosh pit I okay. was shocked. Really? I just didn't think it was mosh pit yeah, that's, material. That, but that's strange. Cassie, would, would you, you get, jump would in you that get, mosh pit there? I would not Foo jump Fighters? in a mosh pit in any band situation. Yeah. Um, I did a mosh pit and I crowd surfed to the Foo Fighters at Rockville. You hmm. didn't think that was a thing for them? No, I didn't. I truly didn't. Oh, weird. I don't know. Just don't seem like they're hard enough I for mean, that kind of... They're pop. I mean, they're earlier stuff. They're sure. just really happy. I feel like mosh pits are for angry people, <laughs> but maybe I was wrong. I was wrong. So uh, I anyways. feel like maybe earlier on, it's it's seemingly weird now too because they've been around forever. Yeah, and they're older, but like not old. I don't know. Their songs are just so happy and positive. I just like the save me. Like you don't imagine a mosh pit. Not during Learn to Fly. No. no. Yeah, it's too slow. <laughs> Anyways, so the band was pissed off about them saying the whole violent behavior thing, and they fired back saying that if they had been told earlier that there was a problem, they would have stopped their show and probably saved some lives. Their manager, Kelly Curtis, said Pearl Jam has always and will continue to do everything possible to ensure that their shows and the shows they are a part of are safe and enjoyable for those who attend. And they did. Indeed. I actually have a very recent example of that. It's nothing even close to the scale of this, but in a show in Zurich over the summer, uh, Eddie kicked a woman out of the show after he saw her hit some guy in the head in front of her because he was recording the show. Uh, yeah he, he he caught her he's like hey sorry you you can't be doing that and he he kicked her out i love it when people in front of me record the show because then i can just look at their screen and it's, <laughs> it's like it's easier it's well, like it's, watching someone else's laptop in an airplane it's probably because i'm short though because like i can't see what's happening so if i look at their phone then i can see uh you know i mean it's stage clearly but like imagine taking time out of you witnessing this performance to just be like get off your phone you should be enjoying you're not enjoying it either you're yelling at this guy and slapping him in the head like shut the fuck up and watch the show yeah i'm sure it's obnoxious you know people kind of they they can block your view sometimes you know but like the guy who stood up yeah but i'm not gonna (laughs) fucking punch him in the back of the head and tell him to sit the fuck down like we're both there to have a good time like i can hear the music it's plenty loud you know he didn't get assault charge or she didn't get assault charges yeah Yeah. she could (laughs) have Um, So Ryan O'Connell details in an Uproxx article the increased measures that Pearl Jam has added into their contracts when playing festivals. The band required that they be allowed to evaluate all security policies, design and location of barriers and security procedures relating to safety. That includes EMT locations, barricade types, 
alcohol sales policies, venue capacity, entry and exit points, and festival security command center location. That's so honorable of them. And like, honestly, everybody should be paying attention to that. That is playing large festivals. Yeah, that's like a lot of factors to consider. They're not just like, what's the capacity? How many tickets did you sell? How much money are we making? Yeah, no, they're like really... Yeah, they care about their They're serious about this because Mm -hmm. obviously this was traumatic for them and they mean it. They're not pieces of shit is what I'm trying to say. So <laughs> great. After repeated accounts from the band and other eyewitnesses, they were officially exonerated while the investigation continued. After all of it, officials had interviewed over 900 people from fans to performers, emergency personnel to Ross Kilda's staff. While no criminal charges were filed, the report did conclude that festival planners were at fault. They spent so long figuring out who was in charge that the concert was stopped late and people died because of it. Basically, they said it was an accident. Interview accounts paint the picture that there wasn't a single rush that caused the damage, more so a constant pressure of people moving to the front. Apparently, yeah, yeah, they were having um, some sound issues. So numerous reports explained problems with the delay towers at the back of the crowd. So people in the back could not hear what the fuck was going on. One person said that it was all treble and it was super quiet and it, it sounded terrible even if you were up front. So for those of you who are interested, there is a video on YouTube posted by a Jesper Nielsen uh, who was in attendance that day. I'm assuming this is either his recording or maybe he got it from somewhere else and decided to post it. I'm not sure. Anyways, it's the audio from the Pearl Jam show that night. Uh, it's an amateur recording from the audience perspective, so the quality isn't that great, but you will hear Eddie's announcement in the last five minutes or so for everyone to step back. Can you hear how the sound, like the delay towers? I, I don't know exactly... It, it sounds like the recording was further back in the crowd, so probably outside of that crush. Um, well, I just mean, like, with the d- the, the overall delay tower audio thing, like, quality, like shit. I, I kind of skimmed through a little, a little bit. I listened to sections and skipped ahead and stuff, and the overall audio quality wasn't terrible. Like, mm. it sounded like somebody was just standing there with a recorder and just recording the show. It, did, it didn't sound abnormal, I would say. Mm. Yeah, well, from, I wonder, from that perspective. I mean, if you're in the back and... The towers back there. Yeah, it would I, sound like shit. It would I depend see on where, where people you're at. would be like, "Uh, what the fuck?" and start pushing forward. <laughs> or but just then leave. you get to the front, and then it still sucks. Yeah. yeah. As far as the barriers in the crowd go, because that was one of their concerns, Paul Wertheimer of Chicago's crowd management management strategy says that they could have worked with a smaller audience. Um, he said that the barricades didn't exactly help and probably complicated things, uh, creating a chain reaction. So Paul's the guy that led the investigation at the Who's disaster. And he believed that the audience at the Roskilde show was simply too large. He says, how can you have the right staff? How can you communicate properly? How can emergency people respond properly when they don't know who's there? Uh, after the Roskilde Festival ended the following year, they opened an official memorial on the grounds with nine birch trees in a circle around a huge stone. It's inscribed, How Fragile We Are. Safety procedures were overhauled at festivals all over Europe. They introduced a shorter chain of command so that emergency response would be quicker. Apparently, they added more large screens. I'm assuming video screens to help with audience communication. Yeah, at any big 
amphitheater, you're going to have some type of screen that shows the band on it so that you don't have to get close and you can avoid running yeah, into people. Yeah, because some people are happy just getting a good seat in front of the screen. That's, like, yeah. yeah I, I watch most of my concerts on the screens because I can't see shit most of the time anyways. Yeah, so. I, I would rather look at a screen. I would rather sit on the ground and look at a screen than stand at the back yeah, of the and you know they're Yeah, and you know they're yeah. there in front of you, so... Yeah. You know, you're just really far away. Yeah. I like to get one good look at the person. Like if it's Billy Joel, just to say I can, I saw him and then I'll go sit down and watch the screen the rest of the time because they're getting better angles than that. And the seats in the back are cheaper. So if you get the nosebleeds and you're fine with watching a screen. More power to you. Oh, that, you did see him live. That's pretty much. That's what we did. That's we, what we, we did. When blood, we, uh, we were literally nose, in the last row yeah. in <laughs> a stadium. We had the we last the fucking up. row. Right before the concrete. Yeah. That is the stadium. We, that's we how we saw Billy Joel. We were about at the edge of the atmosphere there. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I'm sure it was full, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jam-packed. That shit was sold out. It was crazy. So we were in the very fucking last row for Billy Joel. I watched the screen the whole time. It was great. Um. So they the festival also introduced some new barriers to replace their fencing because it was just fencing uh, apparently at the front of the stage. So in the years following the incident, Pearl Jam reached out to the families of the victims. It was really fucking cool of them. To this day, they remain friends. Stone Gossard, Pearl Jam's guitarist, traveled to Copenhagen in 2003 to meet with the families. He met Ebba and... Brigitta Gustafsson, whose son Carl Johan died in the stampede. Stone introduced the parents to the rest of the band members and they continue to keep in touch through Skype. Um, although the Gustafsons never really liked Pearl Jam's music, they now have some favorite songs and enjoy going to their concerts. Uh-huh. Which is like, so sweet. I don't know, when you think of it, like they lost their son at this thing and they're like, we're going to, we like this. I don't know. It feels like some weird cosmic connection back to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. To be yeah. there enjoying that music because, Well, you can know. you imagine, too, as a parent kind of holding a grudge against that band or a musician because of what happened to your, your child during that performance? However, if you're like, oh, my son really enjoyed this band, I'm going to try to get over that listen, and now they're friends? Like, that's cool. Yeah. I, I think maybe a part of that is, is too, that they... Probably realized that it wasn't Pearl Jam's fault. Oh, absolutely. So I'm sure that helped a lot, too. Yeah. So Pearl Jam drew inspiration from The Who. They had lost two band members and been through a concert tragedy, and they still continued on. Eddie Vedder said that continuing to play helped them process what they'd all been through as a band and as a family, and that it was much healthier for them to continue playing and processing with the fans rather than to just sit in a room. Yeah. Now, Pearl Jam hasn't played Love Boat Captain in years, Vetter says. Ross Kilda continues to be the hardest day of our lives. It's not like we're thinking about it anymore today because it's really something we think about every day. We're extremely grateful for the families we've gotten to know through this experience, and somehow we've gotten through this together. Indeed. Um, so I've got a whole section here that I completely forgot that I had written, but I'm going to go through it. Um, I also Aww. didn't know where to put this particular section that I'm okay. going to start with. So I just, we're just going to go from here. Uh, while doing my research, uh, uh, I found out that Pearl Jam, shortly before they went on stage that night, got news that their friend Chris Cornell and Susan Silver had their daughter Lily Cornell. Mm. Um, so they went from a high of hearing this news and being hyped up for the show and then right at the end finding out these poor kids had died mm. You know, at their show within like 
a couple of hours. Yeah. That's that's fucking terrible. So also, I have a little bit here uh, from Paul Wertheimer, uh, who we mentioned a little bit ago, who just so happens to have been there to investigate the incident at the Who concert in 1979, uh, analyze the Ross Kilda incident, and more recently, Astro World. Yeah, he, he is considered to be the top dog uh, guy to go to in this field of uh, crowd control at concerts and stuff like that. And it was the Who incident that actually spawned his 40-some-odd-year career in crowd management and his business crowd management strategies. Wertheimer says the National Fire Protection Association's 101 life, oh, 101 Life Safety Code is the gold standard when it comes to crowd management and safety. It's been adopted by over 400 jurisdictions, I'm assuming just across the U.S., but I'm sure there are similar versions of it in other countries. Well, I would assume in other countries because Ross Kilda was in another country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Astro World was Houston. The Who's show... It was Chicago. Uh, yeah. So he happened Cincinnati. to be working for Chicago police or something like that at the time, and he investigated, he and that, that launched this whole... this whole thing where he, okay. he figured out the system. Um, anyways... Uh, yeah, unfortunately, there's no national standard, at least here in the U.S., for event permits and safety standards, and that's all left up to the individual towns and cities, uh, which which results in a wide variation on standards. So it's left up to the yeah general to figure out what they people to figure it out. Yeah, uh, Wertheimer says the, that festival seating or basically the standing room is the most dangerous crowd setup. Quote. Hmm. The danger of festival seating is that it forces people to compete against each other because everybody's bought a ticket for the same price and everybody is envisioning that they have the right to that perfect spot in front of the stage. In a paper written by John Fruin called The Causes of Pre- and Prevention of Crowd Disasters, Fruin states that, quote, intense crowd pressures exacerbated by anxiety make it difficult to breathe and occupancies of about seven persons per square meter the crowd becomes almost a fluid mass. Mm. Uh, people may be literally lifted out of their shoes and have clothing torn off. The heat and thermal insulation of surrounding bodies cause some to be weakened and faint. Access to those who fall is impossible. Uh, removal of those in distress can only be accomplished by lifting them up and passing them overhead to the exterior of the crowd. Mm. Wertheimer says that festival seating can re- can be reasonably safe if the NFPA standards are applied, with the biggest factor being limiting crowd density. Mm. Uh, here's a few of the standards for crowd safety from the NFPA as of 2021. Uh, having at least one crowd manager for every 250 occupants at an event. In places larger than 10,000 square feet, the crowd density shouldn't exceed one person uh, every seven square feet, about 2.6 feet by 2.6 foot square around you. That's like a, that's a pretty decent. Where would you enforce that, though? In the ticket sales prior to the event? So if you like measure a space and then say, okay, well, since no it way. only can be this, then we can only have X amount of number of tickets. Like, no, I feel how like... Do you- I mean, I feel like they that. would uh, calculate the like first of all the area and then how many people, so the capacity, and then if I don't know if people are standing too close, are they like eh, back the fuck up? No, well, <laughs> I, I think you can tell at a certain point when it's getting too packed if you're paying attention to the crowd. Like, sure. you, like you mentioned, you went to the, the 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 Metallica show in Europe, and they mm-hmm. had the the tiered pit area. Yeah, so they have people watching it. And kind of paying attention to how many people are going in and how many people are leaving at the same time, and then they can also see the crowd in that particular tier, and and how they get moving. a visual. It, well, it, yeah, it makes it easier to control when get, they're in yeah, smaller they, they, groups. Yeah, they can get a visual sure. 
cue of how dense the crowd is. Yeah. And also it's split up into two or three tiers or whatever it was. Yeah. So uh, also there must be adequate access to exits. In yes. areas uh, without well-defined exits, the, access, the exits can be distributed around the perimeter as long as they can accommodate the entire crowd. Uh, life safety evaluations are required for events with more than 6,000 people. Those evaluations must detail safety measures in case of medical emergencies, natural disasters, and other possible emergencies. Wertheimer also says, just like you have breakers in the ocean to break the waves, put in one or maybe even two levels of barricades that run parallel to the stage, and promoters need to be licensed. And that should include requirements to have so many hours of training in event crowd safety. Yeah. Well, that's an idea. So um, I've actually saw a picture of one of the recent uh, Roskilde events, like kind of like a, a aerial, aerial view. view of the crowd. And they, from what I saw, they have like a central mm-hmm. vein going through the crowd and then it kind of splits off in two spots, almost looks like a rib cage almost. And the, yeah. the crowd is limited to these certain areas. Yeah, they do that at um, at Louder Than Life. I mean, it does get crazy when you get up to the front. I was really trying to avoid the front area this last time I was there. Um, Tenacious D was playing, and I fucking love them. Mm-hmm. And so my friend that went to the festival with me, she was trying to... She was like, I know you love them. Let's get up front. And I was like, ah, I'm really not <laughs> yeah, too pressed. That. You know, I would love to be up front, but if it's going to be a struggle, then let's actually not. Mm-hmm. Um they put them on a weird stage. So it's really like they got to really think about who they're putting on what stage because there are going to be a fuck ton of people who show yeah. up. But they have two main stages that are right next to each other and the crowd is divided in the middle. So that way there are not people moving from one side of the festival to the other all at once because the two main stages are right there. So after a certain point in time, like say 7 p.m., it's just back and forth and back and forth between these two right next to each other and the people don't move from where they are in the crowd. Mm -hmm. So there's much less movement, but there's also that central vein that you were talking about and then whatever the exits are on the side and then up at the front, um, they can also get out there. So that crowd is divided up, um, which is nice. And just the fact that people aren't having to relocate because you can just stand exactly where you're at and see what's going on. And if you don't want to be in the front of the crowd, like kiss, fucking kiss was playing on the left stage and so everybody yeah they're fucking awesome so everybody was in the left crowd i go to the right crowd so i can skirt my way all the way up to the front without actually being in the crowd i'm kind of off to the corner Mm -hmm. right but at least i can still kind of see what's happening and i don't have fucking anybody around me you know i can wave my arms and shit and i still get to see all the confetti so that was cool bonnaroo (laughs) Um, I found this out at Tool at Bonnaroo. I didn't realize that they also separate their pit. So if you want to get in the pit for any artist on the main stage, you have to be lined up in advance. And then like 15 minutes before their set starts, they let in like, I don't know, 200 people. They like pick whatever the number is. They let in that many people and everybody else is behind. And if you are behind... There aren't any sidewalls because I think that that's that's one of the problems with these festivals, too, is you filter in from the back and there's walls on the side. So Mm -hmm. you cannot exit to the left or the right. But with Bonnaroo, it's fucking open. Mm -hmm. Everybody lines up in, you know, from front to back. But you can always exit out the side because there's not a barricade that's keeping you Mm -hmm. pushed in and cramped in there. 
the, the having the open sides was like that's like a game changer so looking at the street views of of uh ross kilda you know obviously they have the fencing up and everything around the main festival area right but it's still kind of open so i'm wondering if they just had like those metal barriers that are like waist high and they were just all around and maybe yeah. they were anchored to the ground somehow and people just couldn't you know you're, you're you're in a crowd crush and they just can't people get pinned up against those barriers and they can't up in the front and they just yeah, can't they move anywhere in the ribs. so there's well, no way there's to get also, out of that there's no way to exit there's also security guards who are standing between those barriers in the stage yeah and if you try and just climb out over the front they're going to be like no because i remember one time i was at a festival and i was up in the front i think it was easy top was playing and i had gotten up pretty far and then i was like i can't fucking do this i need to get out of this crowd and i was like hey I I can't get out of here. Can can I come over the barrier? And they said no. And I was like, what? Just let me out, you know? And they wouldn't let me out that way. So I was like, are you fucking kidding me? So I went back mm. a couple of rows and I was like, dink, dink. And I tapped on the people's shoulder. And I was like, hey, can you crowd surf me? And they were like, yeah, we got you. So they lifted me up. And then the same fucking guy who said I couldn't come out over the barrier had to catch me because I was a crowd surfer. That's, that's the loophole. <laughs> if you're a crowd surfer, they got to take you and then they, they kick you out anyway. So I was like, thank you. Yeah, I, I I feel like if you express to them that you need to get out of the crowd, that they should let you out of the crowd yeah. and just escort you <laughs> around the side of the... Maybe I didn't seem distressed enough. Like, uh, I don't know why he wouldn't just... So I was yeah. like, all right, fine. Then fucking crowd surf me out. Like, I'm getting out. I'm not walking back through this. Like, this is the problem, is all of these fucking people pushed up. Yeah. When you said that thing about Bonnaroo and how it's open, I was like, well, what did Astro World look like? And so I pulled up a picture. I think that was in a stadium, wasn't it? No. It's like flat concrete. And all of this is... I don't know how to describe That's not this. open enough. It no, look I mean... Like there's barricades on the sides. Imagine all of the people still trying to get closer yeah and then everybody that's already barricaded just getting shoved up into the front because you can't get out that way no. yeah you if you can't get out to the if you can only get out on one side yeah that's not okay no. so bonnaroo the cool thing is that literally it's open nope. <laughs> on yeah. three sides there are uh, tv interviews of wertheimer talking about astro world specifically and mm -hmm. he does list out exactly what happened and what they did not follow. So if you guys are interested, uh, you can just yeah hit up the YouTube for that. Yeah, I mean, and that's another one. Like we've we've talked about the Who thing a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like we were trying. I mean, this is season two. When we are recording this, we are currently researching season five, um, and putting together the lists for the seasons after this. We have avoided doing these concert ones because the two that we did in season one and two you know we thought we'll, we'll do one of them each season and we did one so. in season one and it was fucking depressing and we did this one in season two and then we didn't cover any more of them so i mean i i'm sure at some point we will cover astroworld but it was so fucking upsetting like we had put this episode out that happened and people were asking us about it like just having conversations at work and stuff like working at the radio station like oh my gosh can you believe what happened or trying to blame it on the music or whatever it was like that fucking setup was yeah that was, was fucked up it, and, it was all the crowd management the and that's that's yeah i feel like if people did actually follow those uh the the 
101 rules of the NFPA. Yeah, what he created. What he created. Yeah. This guy is an expert. He is a, a, a he's got the consulting company. I, I'm I think they're still in business. I don't know, but he like I said, he did weigh on the astral world thing, so I know he's still out there. Mm-hmm. I feel like if people do what he says, these things well, might not happen. be 100% avoidable, but they will be preventable in a greater measure. Yeah. It's really upsetting, but yeah, um, basic consensus here is it's not the type of music. Everyone loves a scapegoat, or they don't like a particular kind of music, so yeah. they say, oh, well, those fans are, you know, they are a certain way. Like, no, it's not. It's not that fucking way, because this shit happens. In every genre. It happens. And more often than you think it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, next time you go to a concert, be aware. I mean, if anything, doing this show has... Uh, made me more aware. I mean, the dime bag episode too with the fucking crazy dude hopping the fence, running him with a gun. Like, yeah. know where your exits are. Live music is awesome and it should be enjoyed. Um, so still do it. Still go. But know where your exits are. Don't fucking make enemies in the crowd. Don't push people. <laughs> like, don't be a part of the problem. Uh, give everyone their space because this shit is scary and it can turn the best day of your life into the last day of your life very quickly. Indeed. Uh, while we're still on it, I would actually like to give a shout out to uh, our security guard, Mike. 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 Dude, Mike fucking does this shit. Found him, yeah. yeah. Uh, we were at Zoso recently and I left the main stage area because the fucking LED lights they have out there and I needed another beer, but um, <laughs> I was hanging out by the bar area by the stairs so they have an upstairs section that you can go hang out in um i was hanging to the side of the stairs because i knew people needed to you know go up and down and stuff i wasn't gonna block them yeah but i was watching mike the whole time he was back and forth constantly through the crowds it wasn't a big crowd it was pretty thin mm-hmm. you know there weren't a lot of people by the bar but there was one guy that there's no place to sit at the norva except for maybe upstairs i think but there was one guy that decided to sit there were some stairs going to one of the exit doors mm-hmm. and mike saw him was like hey you can't sit there and then there was another lady who also, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a fire hazard. Um, there was another lady who also sat on the stairs going upstairs and he saw her. He was like, hey, you can't sit there. You can't block people coming up and down the stairs. So, yeah, you know, I, I'm actually curious, Mike, have you actually had any, uh, other than just Incidents? maybe instruction, like people can't mm-hmm. be blocking the stuff. Have you had any training for this kind of like crowd control stuff? Because it looks like he was pretty on top of it. Yeah, well, I'm. I'm sure he. I'm sure he is. So, Mike, let us know. Give yeah. us some fucking details. Um, you can't come over. No, just kidding. <laughs> but you can type us Put an him email. On the podcast. <laughs> Send us an Instagram. Um, no, don't do Instagram. No, Mike. Mike, we're friends on Facebook now. Oh, so there you go. You can just send me a message. But <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I'm. I'm curious too because I know he does a lot of the shit when there's like a show where there is moshing. He's one of the dudes that will control the mosh pit and make sure that like nobody's getting too rowdy and if they get too fucking crazy in there then they pull them out but they send in like norva guys like you can mosh that's fine but don't get crazy Mm -hmm. because we'll kick your ass out you know remember when we saw psycho stick at dragon con that one year yeah and so we're in a ballroom inside of it i believe the marriott so it's like a third or fourth floor ballroom. Preface, huge room. Psycho Stick is like a joke metal band? Okay. Yeah, I they, they don't them take with themselves like clown seriously. face paint. Kind of. Okay. Well, one of them has large all stitches. moose antlers, kind of like Bullwinkle. Yeah, very much like Bullwinkle. But anyways, we're in, we're in, we're in, I believe it was the Marriott. It's, it's one of the ballrooms, a very large room. 
you're not allowed to mosh in there. You're in a fucking hotel. Like you can feel the hotel. you can feel yeah. the floor moving Shaking. if you start moshing. They didn't build it properly, so, so you can't mosh. Yeah. What floor was it on? It was on like it, the second or third floor. You yeah. can't mosh on a third yeah, floor. Yeah, you don't want to do you that. You got to be on the ground. Anyways, you know, people were getting a little bit rowdy and just out of like the people next to us just out of nowhere Dragon Con security and these, you know, they're not super huge guys, but they're they're recent. Yeah, they're nerds. They have no muscle Decently mass. sized guys in kilts appear out of the crowd and fucking grab these dudes like you're not allowed to mosh and just fucking drag them off. It was <laughs> nice. it was kind of hilarious, but I understand it, you know. Yeah. And they 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 were keeping an eye on people to make sure nobody got hurt. So what we're saying is we trust Mike with our lives. Yeah. Okay. I if would, you guys I, don't know who Mike is by this point, then he's even the Facebook moderator <laughs> bouncer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's our bouncer in real life and in virtual life, and uh, we appreciate him and people like him who try to make these things run smoothly yes. for everybody else. Um, but not that guy who wouldn't let me jump over the barricade. Fuck that guy. Uh, <laughs> well, anyway, sorry for this super depressing episode. But hey, it's a re-record, so woo, new content kind of. Thanks, Jake, for adding some stuff to that. Yeah, and um, we should be recording season five soon. Yeah, we should be recording season five soon. That's up to you. Well, it doesn't matter to you, nerds, because you're on season two. So fucking catch up, bitch. <laughs> and maybe by the time that you catch up, we'll be on season five. Who fucking knows? Um, all right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode. And rest in peace. Oh, bye. <laughs> Later. <laughs>